is great to be here and feel very much at home and I'm looking around and I see some strange faces and they're the ones I know. So, <laughs> so uh, it is, is, good to be, is good to be back. Uh, before we share from the Word, let's just pray. Father, we just say thank you that your Word is powerful and it is strong and it will achieve that which you send it out to achieve. And so, Lord, today as we uh, open your Word and we share this together, I just ask that you might speak into our hearts and our lives and enrich us and equip us for the days that are ahead. And for that I say thank you, Lord. Amen. One of the things that can happen in in the life of a church when we see things really sort of start to to come together and and good things are happening um, is that we can get caught up in the vision and the possibilities and we can actually forget the basics of the Christian life that need to be lived out every day. Things that actually brought about the good things that we might now be experiencing. Things like watching out for each other, supporting each other's ministries, um, whether that be by practical involvement or through intercessory prayer or a combination of both of those. In Psalm 108, we read this in verse 13, Through God we will do valiantly, for it is he who shall tread down our enemies. Through God we will do valiantly, for it is he who shall tread down our enemies. And and Christians very much like that verse, especially the first part and the last part. But often we tend to want God to fulfil the middle part, our part as well. Through God we will do valiantly, for it is he who shall tread down our enemies. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus says this in the Sermon on the Mount, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out from the mouth of God. And James in chapter 1 and verse 21 says, Humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts. Now, if we were to look at the life of Ezekiel, as we find him in chapter 37 of Ezekiel, we see that God speaks into Ezekiel's life and gives him an instruction and gives Ezekiel the opportunity to do valiantly. Ezekiel humbly receives the word that God gives him and as a result of that, the result is significant to say the least. Here was the perfect chance for God to prove his sovereignty and his might and whilst speaking to Ezekiel, he could have said, Zeke, you just have a seat there for a minute and you just watch this. You just watch what I'm going to do. I'm going to raise up these bones, put them back together, provide flesh and then give them life. And Ezekiel's sitting there on a stone. I mean, he would have been absolutely gobsmacked. Absolutely. Blown away by what he saw. But God didn't do that. He said to Ezekiel, I want you to speak to the bones and direct them to come to life. Fine, what would you like me to do after morning tea? Um, that's the way God works. Why is God asking Ezekiel to put the bones back together, to speak to them? I mean, surely he could have done that. That's just the way God works. And he always has. He told Noah to build an ark. Told Moses to go to Pharaoh and tell him to let the people go. The people, uh, the children of Israel, finally got to the Red Sea and he told Moses, well, raise up your staff, stretch out your hand over the water, and it divided Why couldn't God have done that? I mean, there it is. But he gets Moses to do that. They get to Marah a few days later almost. The people are thirsty. 
the water's bitter. So Moses goes to God. He consults God. God tells him to put the tree in the water and it becomes sweet. Why couldn't God have done that? I mean, after all, Moses goes to God and then God makes Moses do all the work. Great. Through God, we will do valiantly. For it is he who shall tread down our enemies. In Mark chapter 6 and verse 7, we find that uh, Jesus sends out his disciples to touch people's lives and change communities as a result of that. And in verse 30, we find they've returned and they sit around and they tell Jesus all the exciting things that have, that have happened and things that have been accomplished for the kingdom. And Jesus then says to them, let's go off by ourselves for a, for a time. Have a few quiet days by ourselves, a bit of R&R. And they think, gee, this is pretty good. Got Jesus to ourselves, great. So they get in the boat, head off, but the crowd seeing what is happening, they run off ahead of them and they're, they're there to meet them when they pull up at the jetty. And Jesus takes one look at this crowd and he has compassion on them. And you can hear the disciples saying, he's going to do this compassion thing? I can just see it. I can just see it. He's going to do it. And Jesus has compassion on these people and he sees them as sheep wandering aimlessly through life. So he starts teaching them. And the disciples may well have been privately seething. This was meant to be our time with him, not theirs. How are we going to get rid of them? So they come to Jesus, full of compassion. These people have been here for a long time, Jesus. They are hungry and may well faint if they don't get some nourishment. Just like you, we have a heart for these people. Perhaps it would be good if we let them go now so that they could go back into town where they could buy some food. And Jesus comes out with an answer they don't expect. He says, you feed them. That was his word to them. Humbly receive the word that is planted in your heart. And maybe they were expecting in their minds there was going to be this pause and then he'd say, just kidding, I'll do it. But he doesn't. So they said, well, that's, that's impossible. It's a bit like raising up a valley full of dry bones and bringing them back to life. And he says to them, well, what have you got? Let's start with that. And isn't that a familiar phrase? All through the scriptures, you see it. He, Moses goes to God and says, well, I can't do it, I'm not equipped. And God says, well, what have you got? We've got a stick. He said, well, let's start with that. Let's start with what you've got. And said, well, we've got a kid's lunch. Matter of interest, question. I'm sorry, I don't have a minty to give you. Um, how many were in the multitude? You can speak, it's all right. 5,000 men, plus those that didn't count. Yeah. You see, women and children weren't considered worthy of acknowledgement in that day. Considered like a chattel. So there were 5,000 men plus the women and the kids. The one that didn't count provided the means for the miracle. None of the 5,000 men gave up their sandwich. Just this kid. If you think you don't count, if you think that society has told you that you're not worthy of a mention, then think again because God considers that you are worthy and he will use the one that society doesn't consider to be of value 
to bring about his purposes. So how does this miracle happen? Well, it's obvious. I mean, Jesus prays over the boy's lunch, multiplies, simple as that. We can probably now go and have a cup of tea and go home. Unless, of course, there's something we may have missed. So Jesus prays over this boy's lunch. He blesses it. At that point, after he's finished the prayer, how much food is there? Five loaves and two fish. And he, he takes it. And, and as I read what happens in this situation, I, I notice that Jesus just doesn't, doesn't pray and then kaboom! A great mountain of food apply, appears and the disciples say, this is all right and we just go and take it from there. Jesus prays over it. He blesses it. Then he breaks it up, breaks up the lunch into 12. So I imagine, I don't know how he did it, but as he got five loaves, so he broke those in half, that's 10 and two fish, that's one each. Probably didn't happen that way, but let's work on that. You know, we're talking about a, a dinner roll, you know, small roll, something like that, not something that would house a Big Mac. And they break it in half, and I see the disciples looking at it and say, this is pathetic. How far is this going to go? I mean, I could knock this off myself. And then they share it around. Jesus prays over it, breaks it, and as they are obedient to the word that was spoken to them, you feed them, the food multiplies and not before. As they were humbly obedient to the word that had been sown, God did something very special. Through our God, we will do valiantly, for it is he who shall tread down our enemy. As Ezekiel did what was asked of him, the dry bones started the transformation process and not before. Question for you. Sorry, I don't have any more minties. Four crows are sitting on a barbed wire fence. Two decide to fly away. How many crows left on the barbed wire fence? Anybody want to have a guess? Three, two, I've got two. Any further advance? I've got a three and a two. No further answer? The answer is four. Because you see, nothing happens until the decision is acted upon. Four crows sitting on a fence, two decide to fly away. They haven't got round to it yet. When God speaks his word into our lives, nothing is going to happen until we humbly receive it and we act on it. Jack Taylor is a, a Southern Baptist man who's, who's often quoted and he says in regard to us acting on the word that God has given us, whether it be by the written word or by the expounding of the word through a, through a sermon or God simply speaking into our lives, he says this. Put it up there for you. Along with the instruction also comes the means. Along with the instruction also comes the means, the ability to do what God is asking of us. It is a package deal. And that makes perfect sense. God doesn't say to Ezekiel, speak to the bones, put them back together. I don't know how you're going to do it, but, you know, good luck. God provides not only the word, he provides the means to do it. Ezekiel's facing a mountain and it's about as big as they come, a pile of dry bones, no flesh, no skin, muscle, hair, just bones and God says speak life into them. I imagine the hair on the back of his neck probably stood up as he heard the bones starting to rattle and then there was a transformation and skin happened but there was no life. 
Ezekiel had been faithful. He had done what, what, what was asked of him. He had spoken and it had happened, but only in part. Here were a whole lot of bodies, but no life in them. They had been renewed, but no inner life, no spirit. In Genesis chapter 2, we read this. This might be familiar. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. Going back to Ezekiel, we read this. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these slain that they may live. Now that word breath in the Hebrew can equally be translated wind or spirit. Just bear that, bear that in mind as we have a look at these couple of verses from the New Testament. In John chapter 20, we read this. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, we read this. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Can you see a picture unfolding here? God's created man. He has form. He has a body but no life. And God breathes life into him. The disciples in the upper room are scared out of their brain. Their, their lives are achieving zilch. Jesus comes, breathes on them and they receive the Holy Spirit. At Pentecost, God comes again to the disciples in hiding and releases his spirit. And now not only is the spirit with them, they are filled with the Holy Spirit. They are immersed in the presence and the power of God and they become empowered people. They come alive. Through God, we will do valiantly. And Ezekiel speaks to the bones. He prophesies. He speaks the word of the Lord and the bones are transformed, but they are still lifeless. So in verse 9, we read this. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Ezekiel speaks to the Spirit and appeals for the Spirit to come, to come upon these lifeless ones so that they may again live. Can you see two separate stages there? Firstly, he speaks to the bones, telling them to listen up and hear what God has to say. Ezekiel must have thought this is just like a normal day. He was always speaking to lifeless people, urging them to listen to God. There was an effect here. It was quite incredible, totally remarkable but it was limited and if that was all there was to be achieved on that day, then little had been accomplished for God. The second thing we see is this, the direction of his prophesying changes. Perhaps in the first scenario, one might equate his prophesying to the bones with preaching, the second with prayer. He speaks to the spirit and implores the spirit to come and fill these lifeless beings for God, to finish the miracle that had started to come and breathe into man's nostrils the breath of life. And this time the effect was mind-blowing. What preaching had failed to accomplish in total, prayer made a reality. 
the restoration that had come about as a result of Ezekiel's faithfulness, his obedience, was only partial. The Spirit made the transformation and the restoration complete. As an outsider looking in on you as a church, can I say that you as a church are where you are today because four years ago people came together to pray. Don't ever forget that. In fact, if I can remember correctly, you put up with a crazy idea that perhaps we should ask God for six new families to come into our church. And people thought he was off the planet, which he probably might have been. But I sense that God's been faithful in that. God has brought you a good man. He's brought a good man into your midst. I want to encourage you today to be there with him, to pray with him and to pray for him. You know the big thing that will kill a pastor in, in churches today? The big thing is not money, sex and power. That will have an impact. I don't think it applies to Aaron necessarily. But the big thing that will kill a pastor today is discouragement. If Aaron turns up to pray, and it's a case of where two or three are gathered, that's very discouraging from a, for a pastor and I speak from personal experience. But if seven or eight, ten or a dozen turn up, you can go home and say, hey, yeah, people are with me. This is really good. If 25 turn up, that's fabulous. It's great. It's great. Humbly accept the word that God has planted in your hearts. Don't just listen to God's word. Live it out. Through God, we will do valiantly. We will do valiantly. For it is he who shall tread down our enemies. Let's pray together. Father, today I want to say thank you for all of my friends here. I say thank you for this church and what it is that you're doing and what it is that you wish to continue to do. Father, I just pray that you would bless them and encourage them as they seek to give hope to the northeast. Father, we want to pray for, for Aaron and his family today and ask that uh, they might return refreshed and renewed. Bless them so that they can share with us the things that you've placed upon their hearts. Lord, today we just uh, say thank you for your word. And today we believe that through God, through you, we will do valiantly. For as you speak into our lives, you will also give us the means to achieve that which you call us to, to do. And for that we say thank you in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.